You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. I am your host, Rob Osell. I'm an architect at this.labs. Today, we're very excited to be discussing TypeScript with Josh Goldberg. Josh is an open source maintainer, consultant, speaker, and most importantly, an author of Learning TypeScript. Josh, how are you doing today? Hey, I am enthused and excited to be here. I'm great. How are you? I am doing wonderfully. You know, it's funny for people that know me, I used to be a C-sharp desktop developer. And when I came to uh, the world of web development in JavaScript, I became aware of TypeScript when Angular 2, or what was at the time called Angular 2, came out. And uh, because it was so much like C-sharp, I just became in love with it from the minute I heard of it. So I'm super excited to be having this conversation today. To start us off, for people that aren't familiar with you, and we love to ask this, especially of people that are authors, can you kind of give us an introduction to how you arrive at this point? Like, what was your development journey, and how did you find yourself writing a book about TypeScript? Sure. it's a good question. Funny enough, I also used to do C-sharp quite a lot. Um, I learned first Java in high school, then C++ in college, which I would never program in willingly again. That's quite a lot of work per output, but it was really satisfying and fun to learn and very informative. Then I became kind of a full stack dev at Microsoft with C Sharp and TypeScript. Uh, My journey to TypeScript though was a little more personal. I made this terribly implemented version of the original Super Mario Brothers called Full Screen Mario that went viral. It has a Wikipedia page, very proud of that. But the code was, and I'm honestly not being modest here. It was terrible, terrible code, hundreds, literally hundreds of global variables, bugs everywhere. And people online were kind enough to prompt me to try linting. Uh, At the time already, it was ESLint. And I have been in love with static analysis tools that look at your code and help you write more or point out bugs or do other utilities for you without running the code. So that's kind of where TypeScript fit in for me, where I have learned the hard way how painful it is to write large JavaScript applications. And TypeScript is just the best tool, in my opinion, for taking JavaScript and giving it types, which help a lot. So that, uh, I got into TypeScript, started doing open source with it a lot, working on the linters. And then uh, thanks in part, I think, to my working at Codecademy and speaking, having a blog, uh, O'Reilly reached out to me to write an intro book for folks who've never used TypeScript before. So it's it's nice, it's come full circle. That was awesome. Was this your first like long form written? Like, is this the first book that you've tried to write or extremely long form piece like that? Like uh, what other kind of writing had you done before? Or did you have to pick it up as part of this? Uh, I have done very little writing other than this book. And if you were my editor, you would definitely have seen that from some of the early drafts. Um, the I think the longest piece of writing I had done before was a failed attempt to make a fan making version of the marathon video game series. Shout out okay. classic marathon games. <laughs> but no, uh, just blog posts and conference talks. Though interestingly enough, I don't think the book writing process was too different from the blog posts. I had a lot more editing and a lot more long form narrative going on. But for the most part, I was writing, waiting, writing, getting it reviewed, same as I would with a blog post, just repeated over a dozen or more chapters over a year. 
So for people in our audience, you know, we have people that are interested in all sorts of different technologies. So they've heard of JavaScript, most of them, and, you know, probably many of them have heard of TypeScript, but people are always learning about TypeScript brand new. I mean, otherwise we wouldn't need books like yours <laughs> to help get people up to speed. So for people that maybe have only heard about it, but haven't had to use it in any of their applications, could you give them just a brief introduction to why, what TypeScript is and, and why it's important? I would love to do that. TypeScript is a superset of JavaScript, which means it is everything that you already know and love in JavaScript or will eventually come to know and love. Plus it adds in your codes, type annotations, the optional ability for you to annotate what things are supposed to be. If say you have a function that takes in an object that has a bunch of properties, in JavaScript, you would have no way reliably of saying what exactly all those properties are. There's this community standard JS doc where you can write in the comments, but nothing really verifies them. And people disagree on the exact format and they're kind of imprecise. There are a bunch of issues. Better than nothing, not as good as TypeScript. TypeScript gives you this really nice specific syntax to declare what object types and other things are supposed to be, which then means that in addition to writing much more self-documenting code, TypeScript can also catch issues for you. If say you declare that something takes in a string and then you pass it a number, that might only coincidentally work sometimes, but that's probably a bug. On top of that, TypeScript gives you really nice development tools in your editor. It has a language server that editors like VS Code can plug into and give you really useful things like automated refactors and find all references and go to definition tools. So TypeScript really takes JavaScript and makes it a pleasant language to write more than 10 files at a time in is kind of the, the key phrase I like to use to describe it. It's interesting that you brought up JS doc because you know that is something that you'll hear a lot. Some people say, oh, TypeScript's unnecessary, just use JS doc, you get most of the benefit without, without needing a transpiler. I guess you sort of answered that, but what I'm curious about is actually more along the lines of, what do you think about using tools like these together? Do you think that that's double documentation that they work against each other? Because one of the things that I've found is that, um, you know, even in the C-sharp world, at least on the teams that I used to work on, we would religiously document all of our methods, uh, maybe not with all the types of all the inputs because those were somewhat self-apparent, but certainly with what they are and what they were intended to be and you know what the expected inputs and outputs were. So is there a world where technologies like these can coexist or a subset? Like how should people approach documentation with something like TypeScript that's also helping them do type annotations? That's such a good question and topic. Thank you for bringing it up. <laughs> the tool TypeScript can exist in perfect harmony and even complement and make better JS doc. TypeScript is fantastic documentation for specifically the types and in, to a lesser extent, the names of things. But TypeScript doesn't necessarily let you annotate the intent of code other than through naming. So JS doc excels at that and you can use it with TypeScript. In fact, TypeScript does support and for some major projects, if I remember right, Webpack, uh, is used to type check JavaScript files that use JS doc with slightly more precise than average definitions. Personally, I like to document things with JS doc just to describe what they are in my projects that I know other people, especially if it's a project I work with random folks on the internet on, um, I will just JS doc the heck out of anything exported there. So between the JS doc descriptions of the functionality and the TypeScript descriptions of the types, I think you get a really, really nice documentation story. So walk us through a little bit about your approach to teaching JavaScript. You know, it's it's interesting because you come from a background, at least with a company that does code education. So 
how did you, when you were sitting down to sort of outline what this book was going to be in your approach, or if you were just mentoring a new developer on your team that was using TypeScript for the first time, like what is the, what is the approach that you're looking to take and that you think is effective for people that are picking up TypeScript? Ooh, good question. I will probably try to remember to ask you the same question after this, because as sure. an architect person, you've certainly had to teach people things. But I like to look at any topic as a graph in the graph theory sense. And for those who haven't done graph theory or algorithms, a graph is a set of points and edges between points, also called nodes and vertices or other terminology. Like Facebook friends are a graph, Twitter followers are a graph. And topics in an area that you might want to learn can be thought of as nodes with dependencies as lines between them. If you want to say, learn how type parameters and generics work in TypeScript, you probably have to first understand the concept of an interface or a function. In order to understand how different features of TypeScript work, you have to understand how JavaScript works. So when I'm trying to teach someone something, I'll, I'll often visually, like literally on a whiteboard or a piece of paper, draw out all the things that I want to teach and then do a, a search traversal on the graph to figure out what things have to come first. In the case of TypeScript, this has always invariably led me down to a few slightly annoying conclusions. For one, you have to teach object types before interfaces, which might not make sense to folks who don't know TypeScript, but for those who do know TypeScript, that's a whole can of worms because object types and interfaces are very similar and then the community is always debating which one to use. It also means you really have to teach what a type system is before you go into the different features. Trying to tell someone, this is how you declare an array type and then call functions like for each on the array doesn't make sense if they don't know what is a type versus a value. Like, what is a type mm -hmm. annotation? Does this impact my runtime? Is TypeScript going to turn me into a C++ programmer? What's going on here? So that's kind of the, the methodology I'm taking and have taken historically. That's super interesting because I do feel like on some level, very introductory explanation of TypeScript is almost self-evident and very inspiring, right? Like this method takes a string and returns a string. And you're like, you show people like, look, now you open up your VS code and there it is in the, 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 you know, the pop-up and you're, people are just instantly engaged. Um, and then they arrive at their first generics method uh, <laughs> or, or God forbid they see a union type or, or any of the more complicated constructions they're from, or they get their first TypeScript error that says, you know, trying to find, you know, object of type object with string, string, you know, and it's at the 17 line long error message and they just completely break up. Um, I think, you know, I, I think that's sort of an interesting part in the development. And one of the things that I try to do with people is try to keep them out of those corners of TypeScript until they know what's back there. Like sometimes people like to go to the back and start finding things and taking it off the shelf and saying, I'm going to find a use for this. I'm going to just take all these ingredients out and see what it makes. And sometimes I sort of tell people like, when you want those features, when you realize that there's a something missing that uh, that is not working with what you know, then you will can go search for those features. But like stay away from sort of the darker parts, <laughs> the dark arts part of the library of TypeScript. I don't know if you're the same way or if you like inspiring people with the sort of the wilder things it can do, but. No, definitely strong agree with that. Um, in the book, I tried very hard to push anything unnecessary towards the end of the book until it was necessary. Like generics are the last chapter in the core features section before the like extra credit miscellaneous stuff. Uh, <laughs> 
a lot of people, I agree, a lot of people want to go for the fun stuff, but for the majority of learners, they are going to be either intimidated or eventually scared off to some extent if they try to go too advanced fast. And this is true for every language. Like C-sharp has random wacky metadata and dynamics, and I still don't understand the difference between getter setter versus the various other ways to declare properties. But you don't really need to know that stuff before you can consider yourself like a somewhat competent beginner to intermediate programmer in the language. Yes, and I think all developers, no matter what experience level you're at, as soon as we find a hammer, all we see is nails. And so it's very tempting once you've got a new box of tricks that TypeScript will give you to start trying to find cool ways to change what you've written to incorporate them. But that certainly is a place um, that can get people frustrated. And so along those lines, I wanted to ask you this because I didn't get a chance to figure out from which talk this must have come. But at the top of your Twitter account, is a image that shows the TypeScript type cycle, the peak of inflated types, the trough of type disillusionment, and the plateau of productivity. And I was wondering, as much for my benefit as for that of our listeners, if you could briefly introduce this, because I feel like this rings so true to me, even without knowing anything other than what I just said. Thank you so much for bringing that up. I've been meaning to write a blog post on this, the TypeScript type cycle. The talk was from Prisma Day. Shout out Prisma Day and also Prisma in general. Prisma is a great tool. I'm not being paid. I just like the tool. And Prisma Day was a wonderful event. Uh, for, for those who are not familiar, the Gartner type, sorry, the Gartner hype cycle is a thing on Wikipedia that a lot of technology is claimed to go through. First, you get this really high peak of, oh my God, this is fantastic when it's new, the peak of inflated expectations. Then immediately after that, you get this trough of disillusionment, it's called, where people have learned the hard way all the bad things about it, which I think is actually where React hooks are, interestingly enough. A lot of people pooping on React hooks on Twitter. Some of it is reasonable. Most of it, I don't think so. Personal hot take. And then eventually you get the slope of enlightenment where you learn the right and the wrong, and then this plateau of productivity. And I think that like many other things, TypeScript types go through that. Your peak of inflated types is once you're new to TypeScript, you have struggled through some beautiful resource like learning TypeScript. You should all buy it now, rate five stars. And then you think you know everything and you add these ridiculous generics everywhere. And then of course, immediately after you realize why that's terrible, you have these 300 line errors in TypeScript. No one understands it. Your, your editor starts freezing. But then eventually, once you learn how to really use TypeScript minimally, which is I think the correct way to use it only where you need it, to let it infer as much as possible, don't use advanced features until it's actually necessary. That's your plateau of productivity. That's when you're most effective with TypeScript. And Rob, it sounds like you might be there personally. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know if I'm all the way to the point of uh, of peak enlightenment and productivity, but I the, the part that rings true to me is I feel like everybody loves TypeScript as they're typing their system as it is now. It's amazing. Then comes that day that someone says, hey, can you just see how this would work? And you go to start building your POC and you go, okay, this is rough and ready, but I'm just going to add a property to this type that's coming back from the API so that I can use it over here. And then you go to run it and it says, sorry, that's not part of this response type. And so you go, okay, fine. I'm going to do the heinous thing and I'm going to mark it any, basically meaning it's exclude it from the type system. And then all of a sudden now my TS lint says, sorry, we don't allow any types here. And pretty soon you're like, I just wanted to get a value through so I could try something and I have to do 45 minutes of refactoring to types so that I can do that. And I, I, I guess 
you know, that one just that that part of being the type disillusionment, I you know, rang true to me. And I'm curious, like, how you feel people should move through this, because even as a former C sharp developer, I don't remember how we worked through this. And I don't know if that's a TypeScript problem or a object oriented type problem. And I just sort of lost my my chops in the days of JavaScript in between them. But, you know, how do you work through that? How do you advise other people people that work through those kind of issues? Oh, what a great question. Uh, to start, I will say TypeScript and its related tools like TypeScript ESLint are not your boss or your manager. They are tools for you. So if a tool is giving you a complaint, and if there's really no way for you to work around the complaint meaningfully quickly, you can always turn off the complaint for the most part. Uh, there are a few ways you can do that in TypeScript. For starters, you can temporarily change your TS config to have, say, no implicit any false, which will allow values that are implicitly type any without an explicit annotation. In TypeScript ESLint, like all ESLint uses, you can always turn off a rule, either in your ESLint config or in line with a little slash slash ESLint disable next line comment. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, with TypeScript, you can always set things to any. You can use the comment slash slash at TS expect error, which fun fact I added to TypeScript, uh, which tells TypeScript to shut up, up, shut up about any error in the next line. So those are like the immediate Band-Aid fixes, but taking a step back and trying not to Band-Aid too much, why is TypeScript complaining? TypeScript types are supposed to be reflective of the reality of your code, the way things are supposed to be. So if you have a really complex architecture, something that's really resilient to change in a bad way, and then you try to change things, TypeScript's gonna complain because your code is not structured well to handle that. Or let's say that you have a really good architecture that's easy to change in a good way, but you've only updated some of the types. And actually this change means that there's a whole new classification of object. It might be annoying, but TypeScript is right to complain if you're passing around a value that's one type and declaring it to be another. So I'd say you can use band-aid fixes if you want. Don't be afraid to any cast or something. But also oftentimes if you're doing TypeScript right, it is a reflection of your realities. And sometimes your realities are strongly changing and it might just take a while to fix things up for that. This might be interesting time to dive in a little bit. This is a fair bit in the weeds, but you know, again, you know, apologies to anybody that wasn't a former C sharp developer. This is really a C sharp focused thing, but this is really where I come with a lot of my type knowledge. I was a C developer before that, even, but I feel like in C sharp was really where I cut my teeth on type systems and object oriented development. But one of the things that you use a lot in C sharp are interfaces, and you generally use interfaces to reduce your reliance on concrete types to say, I don't want to know exactly what I'm given, but I want something that quacks like a duck. <laughs> I want something that has at least some of the things that I expect on it uh, to exist. And so I think when I came to TypeScript, I, I just carried with me this thought process. And I sort of very naively went into going, oh, I want a lot of interfaces everywhere. And that's what I want to be using all over the place. And there's a lot of discourse around that and a lot of people that disagree with that. And I was wondering if you could just sort of maybe make sense of this, help me a little bit uh, and help anybody else that's trying to understand these things, not as far as what's right or wrong, but you know, what are we trying to accomplish with these things? And maybe what do you prefer to do when you're, when you're building applications? What are we trying to accomplish with these things? It's a great question. Um, I will start by saying that TypeScript is not an inherently functional or object-oriented programming language. Um, the interesting, I think, kind of amusing history of TypeScript is that when it came out, it was advertised both for its type checking and also for its transpiling. This was before Babel was really popular. 
So a lot of the marketing said, you can use classes now, hooray. Fast forward two years later, Angular is you know, kicking it up and people are starting to freak out. Oh my God, TypeScript is going to turn us into a bunch of C-sharp or Java programmers. But ironically, TypeScript actually tends to support functional programming a little better than object-oriented and classes in its type system. They just have more features around functional. But you know, it supports both very well. So that being said, I think a lot of people from languages like C-sharp, this was me included, well, we tended to write a class for a lot of stuff. Uh, let's say you have a program that processes text, you might write a text processing class that has a dependency in its constructor on a text reader and then a row parser or some stuff like that. And then you might be tempted to use a library like Inversify or something to dependency inject it and I've got an IOC container. And now the people who just write JavaScript are completely lost because what the heck is all this? These are all object-oriented terms. But I think JavaScript works best when you apply not a pure functional approach, but more of function-oriented. So instead of writing a class that is then wrapped by an interface, just write a function and then you can type your functions. So instead of a text processor class, maybe just have a function that takes in text and returns your object shape and you can type that in TypeScript. I think that's been the biggest cause of discontent or disagreement between type system folks. But I'm not sure I'm actually understanding the question fully. Are there other scenarios you're thinking of that really have people fighting over type approaches? I, you know, I don't know. Like, like I said, the, the thing that I come from is just thinking that if I'm going to reach for a type annotation in TypeScript, I'm looking for an interface and I'm looking for an interface because I don't want to wholly define what an entity is and say, I want only an instance of, you know, so, uh, you know, a lot of times when people are learning types, they reach for the animal's description, right? I want to be able to say that I want a mammal with my code. I don't necessarily want to say I need a cat or dog or monkey or, you know, a lizard wouldn't be a good example in this case. <laughs> if the system works. Uh, so anyways, so when people are, I, I feel like a lot of times people, uh, so I find myself reaching for interface to sort of say, I want to define like a set of things th that are, or at least have something in TypeScript that has the same semantics as the C-sharp interface, which is along those lines, like having an, an I iterable, I enumerable, I everything. If anybody's looking at C-sharp, they're like, yeah, I'm, everything is I something. And all the methods take I whatevers and everything reduces down to only the things that a method needs. And to some extent, I, I enjoy that kind of type annotation because it means I get a little bit of that uh, additional value in my method of not having more things in the stuff that you pass me, not being aware of more things in the stuff that you pass me than I need to, to get to do what I need to do. But I find that there's been a lot of discourse and, and blogs being written about, oh, you should be using one or the other because one of them actually produces code and it inflates your bundle size. And the other one is just, you know, purely goes away and, I feel like the conversation centers on that. And so I don't know if that may be correct. And again, there's no right or wrong with anything, but like, are is a lot of that discourse on the right bounds? Like, are we losing capability? Are people building maybe worse typed applications because of this conversation and the focus on what gets transpiled into JavaScript? Or is that, is it just that, interfaces in TypeScript aren't quite like interfaces in other languages or even any other type features, even if they share a name? Like what is sort of the right way for people to be understanding this, which I think might be natural for people that are coming from other object-oriented languages or typed languages to TypeScript? I think I, I get where you're coming from. A couple of thoughts. One, 
if you have an abstraction, let's say animal over cat, dog, et cetera, and you don't want to have to type out a union saying cat or dog or in your function, yeah, totally reasonable to write an interface animal. Your cat, dog, objects, classes, however you're creating them, they don't need to explicitly say that they're an animal. The TypeScript is structurally typed rather than say C++, et cetera, C sharp, uh, where you have to explicitly say something implemented interface. So yeah, if you have an abstraction and you have multiple things that adhere to that abstraction, totally fine. I think, I think what people often, a little more often get irked over is when there's an unnecessary interface, when there's only ever one object or one <laughs> class that is of a particular type. And in fact, that's, a, I think, a big part of why TypeScript standard is not to put I in front of the interface name. In C-sharp and similar, you have a class and you have an interface, even if there's just one. Uh, because it's easier to test, maybe in the future you will want to refactor to have multiple. But in TypeScript, where everything is structurally typed, you, you kind of don't need that so much. So instead of having the cat class implement the cat interface, which extends the cat, uh, animal interface, just have an animal interface. And then maybe you have a cat class, maybe you have a cat object, maybe you have a function that creates an animal that takes it overrides, whatever. So I think the discourse is healthy in that we're discussing different architectural patterns or generalities of how to abstract our behavior ideas from our implementation. But at the end of the day, people have different programming styles. And like you said, there's maybe no, no one right answer, just a lot of anger on the internet. Yeah, exactly. For, you know, one of the things that I've found that's been interesting, and, and one of the things, honestly, that I love about web development, and maybe this is true of the broader development ecosystem as well, but we get so many people in web development, especially <clears throat> and in the JavaScript ecosystem, that are coming to development from a second career. So sort of non-traditional backgrounds, people that have just amazingly interesting careers, and then they come through the coding boot camps and they come into these uh, in, into our our companies, but they don't come from a like a, a you know a software engineering or a computer science background in college or anything along those lines. And first and foremost, anybody listening should know we think that that's totally valid. But what's interesting in the code education space is you don't necessarily have the same blocks from person to person. And I'm wondering if you've encountered that and how you approached it in the book of trying to meet people where they are, you know. For some people, generics is maybe something that they were taught in college. They come with some of that theory, type theory built into them. Other people, it's completely the first time that they've ever, ever seen it. Um, you know, how do you approach that? And how do you sort of reach these different sets of people? I love it. Plus one, it is absolutely great and valid. I think part of a team's diversity should include, ideally, if you have the ability, diversity of backgrounds. Don't just get a bunch of college grads from the exact same college. Um, I would also say that at Code Academy, we had maybe even majority new people who joined during my tenure, not from college, who are either self-taught or much more often from some boot camp area. I'll also say that a lot of people overestimate what practical skills you learn in college. I had a four-year CS degree, and the vast majority of knowledge that I gained the last three of those years was from personal projects. There were really good courses I took, and especially my first year, the courses were super valuable. But later on, a lot of it was more project-based. Some of it I, was a lot more theoretical. I don't really use much of my algorithms knowledge now beyond just mapping out graphs to teach. Eh, and applying I, to new jobs, right? That's that's the other yeah. purpose. For, yeah. 
that that never ceases to irritate me. You, in a very positive, <laughs> uplifting way, have irritated me. Like that, it hurts me so much that we ask these ridiculous questions about like reversing a single link list, which I have never done in my career as a developer. How am I supposed to judge you on this thing when I don't even remember how to do it? Hopefully, probably. Ugh. So yeah, um, I think bootcamp grads. The downside is that you don't have as long of a period, like four years of college, two or four, depending on the degree or more, to really flesh out and work on projects. But then a lot of bootcamp grads don't immediately go to work after they spend a summer or a year or something doing projects. So I think it's it's great. It's just a different way to learn things. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's hard to accommodate specifically college folks or bootcamp folks because both of them are so diverse and different in what they learn. Like mm -hmm. some kids grow kids some adult humans leave college without knowing generics and then some folks leave boot camps knowing both generics and advanced algorithms so good for both of them i guess yeah it's funny because like when i was in college um it was pretty widely known that it wasn't going to t like your first couple years working as a developer were going to be spent learning all the things they didn't teach you in college i feel like colleges have gotten better and certainly boot camps some some boot camps are amazing at this uh you just weren't prepared to do real work but what was interesting, I thought to me was, I, I, I agree with you, I didn't necessarily understand what I was learning at the time. But years later in my career, when, when I needed, when I encountered a problem, I went, oh, that's what, that's finally where big O notation is coming in. That's finally where knowing what a heap and, a, you know, whatever else is coming in. That's where learning about graph theory is finally starting to, you know, ha reach fruition. And so one of the things that I've really struggled with is I love mentoring people, but I've often said that while I'm good at mentoring even junior developers, it's quite a different thing to mentor a junior developer versus mentoring someone who's learning to code. They don't seem that different, but they're really different. And some of it is whether or not you can remember what it's like to be on the other side of that wall of, of knowledge. Um, somebody that's just, that understands what's going on, but is clumsy with it is a different person than somebody that a lot of what they see is still just magical. And I find that to be one of the interesting things about education is those two people are thought to be so similar because in the wide range of a 30 year career, they are pretty close to each other. But I don't know if there are any two levels in software engineering that are further apart than someone learning to code and somebody who's a junior developer getting their first job experience. And I don't know if you found similar um, where you worked and in, in your process of, of sort of developing this curriculum. I don't even have experiences working professionally with people who are still learning to code. I have outside mentorships that I do with boot camps or other often nonprofits. And then at work, we would have apprentices slash interns who were at the early stage. But yeah, I agree. I would be horrified to try to, if, to see that getting mistaken that the two are similar. Saying that the two are similar, I agree. Within the range of a 30 year career, that's like saying that humans are basically dinosaurs given the range of the universe. Like there, there's a lot that happens between those two. Absolutely. Um, you know, so you've touched on this a little bit, but there was a time when TypeScript wasn't just about types that it was about adding features, still being a superset of JavaScript, um, but having additional features. And, you know, um, uh, you know, there have been a host of them over the years, some of which have budded into future ES features or TC39 proposals and have governed the way that uh, some of that stuff 
uh, goes. And I'm, I'm wondering what you think. This is more of a personal thought here. It seems like TypeScript has sort of leaned away from this quite heavily, um, away from being a place where we could maybe try out TC39 uh, proposals before they were ready for the big show. Um, kind of your thoughts on that era or that portion of TypeScript. Yeah, that's ancient history now. I touch on this a lot in the book. Um, there's a whole chapter on syntax extensions. It's very, very at the end. I think it might be the last one or second to last. It's things that the TypeScript team added early on and largely for most of them have since regretted. TypeScript does not want to interfere with JavaScript. At first, that was not just because JavaScript is a solo evolving language. It was also because Microsoft had this terrible reputation of embrace, extend, extinguish. And that was the last thing the TypeScript team wanted to get in trouble for. But also, it is legitimately bad for the community if TypeScript diverges from the future of JavaScript. For example, decorators. They're a feature that is very difficult to get right in a language. You're smiling. I take it you have struggled through. That was going to be the example that I was failing to come up with earlier. <laughs> yeah, decorators is, I think, the one that, especially because it's so integrated in Angular, became such a focal point of this. And this is a beautiful thought exercise. TypeScript added a compiler option called experimental decorators that enabled you to use decorators, enabled largely Angular folks at the time. Although I personally have had a lot of good stuff using decorators in React pre-hooks with MobX. I had this wonderful architecture we did that used Inversify for a, a version of control. It was basically a C-sharp programmer's love story to React. Anyway, experimental decorators are based off an old version of decorators that is no longer current. It is breaking change incompatible with the current TC39 proposals. And the output code from TypeScript's old experimental decorators just does not work with the current JavaScript decorators proposal. So you can imagine how painful that is that now TypeScript has one broken-ish version of decorators to support. And in the future, at some point, there will be a potentially drastically different version of decorators they'll have to support. Tech debt. And Microsoft very rarely deletes old things. Breaking changes are very unacceptable for enterprise clients. So TypeScript's just going to have experimental decorators forever. So yeah, they try very hard not to do this. Um, but it eventually inevitably comes anyway. Uh, TypeScript's term for a fixed size array is tuple, which is now also the term for the JavaScript proposal for an immutable array. TypeScript has a type called record that's built in. That's the type for, or excuse me, the name for a JavaScript immutable object. So yeah, I'm curious, are there any other pain points you've experienced in your your career like enums? Uh, or decorators whatnot? are just the biggest one, but I just feel like there was a time that my understanding, I'm, I'm trying to go in my, in my own personal way back machine here, 2016 timeframe and remembering that I, I remember being excited about TypeScript because I was like, oh, I'm going to be able to use all these cool features before they come to JavaScript. And it, it seems like as soon as people realized that the types were the value, that just withered quickly. And it's good too, honestly, like you said, because of these conflicts. I mean, I, I, I haven't been in the, this community for super long, uh, but long enough to know, you know, Smushgate and and uh, and uh, angst over Moo tools and all the other things that come along with it, and you know it's it's really true. TypeScript is such a big part now of this ecosystem. Um, it's so close to being in that standards world that I am glad that they are 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 doing well by that to, to try and minimize the amount of churn there because it's a surprisingly delicate system we have at times um, to not conflict with each other through the standards process. Yeah. You know, Smooshgate was like four plus years ago now. 
yeah. first half of 2018. They're developing. Yeah, a lot of people here <laughs> don't know, remember what we're talking about, but uh, yeah, um, um, absolutely. I will. I will say though that uh, I think it's good for the web that we have so much innovation and change in the tools. As a person who writes code on the web, I find it painful and annoying. The ESM migration is just a whole bucket of pain. But we're constantly iterating and learning from past mistakes. So it's almost shocking to me that TypeScript has managed to last for so long. It has, as you said, changed a little bit from types plus transpiling with features to mostly just types. But like we haven't really seen any major competitors to TypeScript since Flow mostly died in open source. It's wild. I'm kind of waiting for the next big thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, to be honest, that was sort of a question I was curious about as well, speculation-wise. I mean, I know none of us have the crystal ball on this. If we did, we would uh, maybe not spend it just trying to theorize what's going to be happening in the TypeScript and JavaScript ecosystem. But I feel like some people, one of the things that I've heard pushback now on TypeScript from some of the people that are still holdouts generally is that uh, it's just a Band-Aid. It's a Band-Aid for the issues of JavaScript. The real problem is JavaScript insert the thing I'm interested in, whether it's Rust, whether it's uh, Carbon or you know whatever it is that you're interested in that you think is the next big thing. Your thought, I mean, I don't want to dismiss those thoughts. I think those technologies are really cool and very interesting. But do, do you see this as being workable moving forward? Do you think that this is just a sign that if there was a way to move you know, the billions or trillions of lines of JavaScript in the world over, that we would just be better off going to either a fully a more fully functional system or a more fully object-oriented or type-oriented system? You know, Java, not JavaScript, is an enterprise-oriented for many people, but generally applicable programming language that according to Oracle is on billions of devices and is still used by billions of dollars perhaps trillions of dollars of enterprise uh, software people, and it doesn't have even async or wait. So I think it's very tenable that if TypeScript were to freeze at the next major version and never change, we would still continue to use it. But you're right. I think here, here's my prediction for the next decade of web. I think TypeScript or maybe one follow-up to TypeScript, which is very similar, perhaps even compatible with it, like TypeScript and Rust or something will happen. And that'll be kind of the last big innovation wave for JavaScript. I think what will actually kill JavaScript, and not kill, but like make the next greatest best things start to be other languages, is gonna be WASM being able to target DOM nodes. Because once WASM is, so writing whatever, Rust, and then being able to run it in your browser or server-side process, once you can natively target DOM nodes, you'll be able to do a hello world in some React equivalent in Rust, which is gonna be more performant and more type safe, et cetera. But until that happens, which is years and years from now, because the WASM folks need to standardize those DOM APIs and make it work well in browsers and so on and so forth. Until then, we're stuck with JavaScript. So people have been sounding the death alarm for JavaScript for decades at this point, and we're, we have the end in sight, I think, but we're not close to it. What about you? Yeah, you know, it's funny because like I, I am very excited about that world of the, the, the interop layer. I love that idea that come as you are, what language speaks to the way that you think in, you know, how you think in code, how you operate efficiently in code. I love the theory that I could write C sharp or F sharp or Java or Rust or insert whatever language it is that I know well and I operate in well, and then work on these browsers in these, uh, in these devices and in these environments that so much of software development is occurring on. I'm very excited about a world like that. And I choose to believe that it is feasible and 
that we will get there. Um, and then I will be on the front lines of people, not saying which of those languages is the best, but just excited that I can play with whichever one I'm, I, you know, I want to. So. Excellent. There's this eternal struggle, I think, between consolidation, standardization, and iteration experimentation, where one of the nice things about everyone having to write JavaScript now is that we're all in the same language. You have tools like TypeScript that are used by practically almost every company, and then JavaScript is used by basically every company. So if we move to this WASM world, we lose some of that standardization. We lose that Next.js and Remix make the deployment, getting started, whatever processes with Vercel and Netlify, et cetera, amazingly good, best in human history. But then you get to innovate in all your other languages. And who knows, maybe someone will make a version of TypeScript that has only null and not undefined and doesn't have document at all and all the other dumb quirks of JavaScript. If they do, sign me up. I'm, I'm writing in that language. There we go. Um, one of the questions that uh, we, you know, again, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but it, it's it's type errors, and I think when people talk about type errors, there are two types, no pun intended, of errors that they are generally struggling with. One is generics, um, and again, I think that's one of those things that if you haven't used a lot of generics, you haven't seen a lot of um, a, a construction like that. Um, it can be very difficult to even just know how to read it, let alone understand what it's trying to say to you. And I think the other one is in object types that are sort of inferred. And so it's not being called, to go back to our animal example, it's not being called a cat. It says, I'm an object with you know these properties and these names, and it makes the thing just extremely long and breaks up the structure of it. So along those lines, one of the questions that uh, we get is, what is the best way to learn how to read those, to make them easier to manage, to work through those type errors uh, that people face that they just, they struggle with? I love it. Learn TypeScript, like really learn TypeScript. And that's true for any programming language that you're having troubles with. Every programming language is going to have this weird area that isn't well-defined in the documentation you can find and is confusing and annoying. So learn why TypeScript does things the way it does. Um, on the Learning TypeScript website, learningtypescript.com, buy it, rate it five stars. There is a series of articles that I'm writing continuously going over the common questions asked in the TypeScript community Discord and on Twitter about why is the type inference happening in a certain way. And I recommend going through those articles and generally understanding the behaviors and type inferences type people make. The big one that I think confuses a lot of people is if you have that object, like you were describing, that's not explicitly declared as, say, a cat, how does TypeScript know what its properties are going to be? Is the name, which happens to be, what's a good cat name? Do you have any cats? Yeah, I mean, ours is named Neville. I don't know if that's a very good cat name. I think a very common cat name would be like Spot. Oh, I, I love Neville. All, our cats are generally named after humans. So yeah, let's say its name is Neville. Does that mean that the cat's name property is string? Or is it Neville? Is it like the literal string Neville rather than the general primitive string? Is it an optional property? Let's say that it has an array of strings. Is that an array of strings? Is it a fixed size array, aka a tuple, aka whatever we're going to call it next? Is it? And so on and so forth. So learning where TypeScript will infer which types is really important because then you can see, oh, well, my interface says the type has to be one of these three strings, but the object type was actually inferred to general string. That's why they're incompatible. So for that case, learn TypeScript really well and it'll be a little easier. Sometimes you just have to write an interface or object type just to describe your object because it's not inferred to the right thing. 
or maybe you'll have to use an as const uh, type assertion to kind of force TypeScript to understand what it's supposed to be. Does that kind of make sense for that that half of the question? Yeah, I think that I think that does make sense. It's it's a lot of the same thing that I try to explain to people is you know sometimes when you get those very convoluted errors, it's just enough to understand that it's confused, and uh, to to look at the thing that it's confused on and try to figure out and sometimes try to trace backwards. You know, I, I often see this a lot in RxJS, um, sort of an observable framework that's used a lot with Angular, but it's it's used all over the place and. You know, as you as you have the piped operators, sometimes things change. Um, not where it left off isn't where it starts again in the next chain because it, it doesn't. It's not as strong what it knows from one operator to the next. Sometimes, and I think sometimes that really throws people, and it gives a very arcane error because um, it's coming through uh, a library, a third party library that's typed in a very specific way to be very flexible and to work for what you need to, but it doesn't sound like what you passed in, and it says, okay, well, just Let's, you know, luckily, if you have an, a, an IDE that supports it, start hovering over things, start trying to see what it believes these types are and keep following it down until it seems to be confused and, and, and then sort of maybe start, start from there. Uh, sometimes I find that the, the errors aren't really the interesting part as much as what it seems to be confused on. And then you can maybe get there yourself faster than necessarily understanding what it's trying to say. Because it's confused. It may not even be sure what to tell you is the thing it's confused about. That's such a kind, humane way of treating your tools. Not TypeScript <laughs> is mad at me and I'm mad at it. TypeScript is just confused. We should give it a little time, help it out. But that's, that's the hard. right way to look at it. And yeah, plus one to, to hovering. Hovering in an editor, uh, that's just see what types things are. If you can't figure out what a specific type is because it's some member of some complex thing, you can always make an intermediate variable. My favorite is can'ts. Sorry, const wat equals, and then some intermediary value, and then I hover over the wat variable. There's actually a refactoring in TypeScript language server that lets you select something in your editor, hit the little light bulb, and then extract to constant in enclosing scope, I think it's called, which is a fancy way of saying cut and paste this into a variable, let you choose a variable name. So very useful there, very nice for debugging weird type shenanigans. Well, very rapidly, we're approaching the end of the podcast, but uh, I had sort of a, a humorous question that I wanted to ask you about the book itself. And that is, if you go to the book's website, there's a blog post that lists extensively all of the pop culture references made throughout the book. And it is a prolific and varied list of different influences. And so my question to you is, is that something that you had to fight with your editor uh, to keep blowing out? Was this a game that you played with yourself? Like, what, what, what's the story uh, here? Because clearly you enjoyed it. I think I had a good relationship with my editor right until the last month when I kept asking to do major changes to the book. Uh, but other than that, no, it's been O'Reilly super supportive. They understand that people who read books are humans. People who write books are humans. No one wants to read a dry textbook. Anything you can do to flavor it up without detracting from the educational content, the pedagogy is great. So yeah, I just thought most software textbooks just either don't have references or reference just things the author is interested in. And then that oftentimes, unfortunately, becomes a bunch of like white dudes. Like statistically speaking, the vast majority of software references are not a diverse group. So I thought, what if I just did the opposite of that in this one? So every chapter has a different theme, warriors, artists, soldiers, whatever. Um, and then I tried to not use the same reference 
twice unless it kind of fit the content. Like object types and interfaces have some of the same references. And honestly, I had a great time with this. Like I learned a lot just figuring out who are the greatest women warriors in history and put them in the book. I started reading uh, some of, some of the, the novels that I referenced there because I felt silly referencing an author without having actually read anything. So shout out any fellow fans of Wuthering Heights. I'm uh, slogging <laughs> through that right now. There you go. And it, it, as if we needed any more proof of the idea that there is nothing better for learning than having to teach somebody something because the amount that you need to learn in order to make the lesson digestible and comprehensible is an order of magnitude larger. And so I always tell people, if you can find a mentee, uh, just they will ask you a simple question and you will learn so much trying to answer that simple question uh, that it is a very valuable experience. So there you go. In the process of learning this, you took it on yourself to expand your horizons as well. Thanks. So once to getting... Oh, sorry. Oh, oh, go ahead, please. Oh, thanks. Plus one to getting a mentee um, and plus one to having to explain things to people as a form of learning. I learned a lot, not just about TypeScript, but about how to teach. You really don't understand how many of the things you're saying are based off of other things that the other person you're talking to might not know until you have to write it down and really have an editor look at your stuff. It's a great experience. Absolutely. As we wrap up, um, we would love to get people uh, plugged in who are interested, interested about you, interested about TypeScript, interested about your book. So if people want to continue the conversation and to learn a little bit more about the stuff that we were talking about today, can you tell them how they can get involved? Very few things would bring me more joy than to do that. Hello, I'm Josh. I'm a full-time open source developer. I am Joshua K. Goldberg on Twitter, GitHub, and Twitch. You can find me streaming on Twitch twice a week always join in. I do my open source work in the open when possible. So ask me anything or just hang out. Um, you can sponsor me on GitHub, which I would really appreciate because my current GitHub sponsorship uh, salary, so to speak, is half the federal minimum wage in the United States. So open source is not yet sustainable for me, but the more it is, the more I can do work on projects like TypeScript ESLint, which is the linter tooling that lets you run ESLint on TypeScript. So please sponsor me so I can make the TypeScript experience better for you. Lastly, Please do, as I might have mentioned, buy my book and rate it five stars because that that helps me a lot. I think it's a really good book for learning TypeScript. And you can always tweet at me, GitHub, email, whatever me to yell at me if you've got any things in open source you want me to work on or think that I'm doing well or poorly. Please do. And uh, hashtag not sponsored, but we have gotten an opportunity uh, from Josh uh, for a... Uh, 30-day free membership opportunity for the audience. So we'll make sure to put that link in the show notes. So if that's something that you're interested in, um, definitely take a look at that. But as for this conversation on TypeScript, I am afraid that's going to be it for today. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this Modern Web Podcast on TypeScript. Thank you, of course, to our guest, Josh. As always, the conversation does not stop here. As he mentioned, you can find Josh on Twitter at Joshua K. Goldberg. So that's J-O-S-H-U-A. K-G-O-L-D-B-E-R-G. You can find me online at RoboCell. As for the podcast, you can find us online at moderndotweb.com or on Twitter at modern.web. Thank you so much, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Come on, everybody. This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs.
for all of your friends and you.